0: This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's art collections. Visit ArtUK.org where you can see stories and artworks from collections around the UK. Please also follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at ArtUK.org, spelling out the word dot. More and more, museums are working towards facilitating experiences that provide inclusive interpretations of their collections. One of the ways this is done is through themed tours, which can provide an insightful way of helping visitors connect with collections that many audiences feel removed from. Cultural historian Michael Ohajuru runs one such tour called The Image of the Black in London Galleries.
1: I give tours of Tate Britain, the National Gallery, the V&A, and the Wallace Collection, and I introduce people to the black presence to be found in the collection.
0: Michael explains the changing presence of black figures in European painting as a journey.
1: The start of the journey, I talk about the black object as, as a subject or an object of economic capital, than a slave or a servant. By the end of the journey, the creators of cultural capital, the, the artists in their own right, creating expression themselves and their times through their art. because I think it's important that people understand that the art just didn't appear there. the art has meaning and relevance and try and understand that relevance in its time and then perhaps what it means to us today. I talk about the concept of having the period eye, giving people the period eye to look at it and try and understand the work.
0: Michael breaks this evolution down further into two categories of works ones with an explicit or implicit presence of Black figures. We'll come back to what implicit means, but first, let's look at some explicit examples. That is to say, works of art that overtly include Black figures within them.
1: If we look at a painting, uh, the martyrdom of St. Sebastian, in the National Gallery by the, the Palladio Brothers, this is an altarpiece for the Pucci family. And it shows, typical, there's the St. Sebastian with the, with the arrows in him, and it's a very famous Renaissance piece, essentially because of its composition, the way it's structured, the very pyramid composition. It's an altarpiece piece dedicated to the Pucci family. And how do we know that? Well, if we looked in the left, the top left of the painting, there's uh, a triumphal arch. And if we look on the triumphal arch, we can see there's two medallions. And we look closer, those medallions, there's two black figures, there's two, for want of a better, Morse heads. There's two black figures in profile. And what's all that about? Well, it transpires that the Pucci family had an ancestor, Jacobo Saracini, an early ancestor, and he took it as his motif, his emblem, his symbol, the Morse head, because it was a play on Saracini, Saracen, because the Saracens that they, they met during the Crusades, there were many black Saracens. So the black figure's head was taken, they, they took as their, as their family emblem. And there's no written evidence that they actually took part in the Crusades, but they just took it because it was a pun on the name. And there are other Italian families from the Renaissance in the same period who have the most heads of the the Negrini from Negra, black. That's a very common uh, symbol in Italy and elsewhere in Europe.
0: A popular painting theme that more prominently includes a black figure is the Adoration of the Magi. This is a scene from the Nativity story wherein the infant Christ is visited by three Magi or kings bearing gifts. There are many examples to choose from, but we'll look at one by Paolo Veronese in the National Gallery collection. You can
1: see the the Black King is is on the edge of the painting, and this is a very typical composition for an an adoration with a Black presence. The Black King is always the last in line. He invariably has, he's dressed a little differently, often exotically. He's wearing an earring. I've never seen any uh, any, um, adoration scene or three kings where any of the white kings is wearing an earring. And lastly, and this is quite subtle, he's not quite part of the three. It's, it's two in one. It's two, two white kings and one black king. He's at a distance. He's set back. He's not moving into the composition as the other two kings are. He's moving away. And that, that's a very normal construct for the black king in, in adoration scenes. This is the uh, semblance of creating other, not quite one of us. When it's not isolating in terms of uh, you're putting them down. The power play here. Nevertheless, you're creating some, some sense of difference and distance between the two and white kings. That runs throughout adoration scenes we have a black king from the Renaissance right through into the 17th, 18th century.
0: So during the the height of maybe the slave trade, do we still see paintings that would show something like a black king? Because I feel like that would really undermine a lot of the things that they were trying to say about a black person's place in society.
1: Okay, let, let me be direct to them and I should say, this, we're talking about this is pre-slavery. Right. I'll explain what I mean by pre-slavery. There are, this is a time before slavery, and more specifically before American chattel slavery, which was exceptional. In fact, they redefined slavery, and in some ways it makes the Black King very special. If I go back to the, the Black King's presence, yeah. the Black King, it's a problematic figure culturally, because... Culturally, he's seen as a barbarian, because people, when they looked at Africa, they, they saw Africa a, a place of beastly living, people living without God. So they saw black people as barbarians. And also, legally, they were slaves. They were traditionally slaves. But slaves, in the sense of a precious object, You but they were not cheap. So they were well looked after. They were supported. And more importantly, the progeny of slaves did not naturally become slaves. It was related to who your father was. If your father was a free man, so you so, so you were free. The best example I can give here is Alexandro Medici. He was the son of a slave. His mother was a slave in, that, in, the, in the Medici household. His father was one of two Medici's. We don't know exactly which one. In fact, one of them went on to be Pope. But nevertheless, he was a Medici. And when they needed a heir, when they'd run out, they turned to Alexandro. So he became the Duke of Milan. So the terms, the concept of slavery we you know is very different to, to the slavery that we have in America, that, that, that chattel slavery. We had instances where owners of enslaved would rape them and then sell their own progeny. That is without mm-hmm. precedent.
0: As a last example of explicit representations of Black figures, let's now examine a painting by Titian titled Diana and Acton, based on the poem Metamorphosis by the Roman poet Ovid. In the story, Actaean comes across Diana, goddess of hunting, while she's bathing. Her attendants attempt to quickly cover her, and in the process, Actaean is splashed with water that turns him into a stag.
1: The very edge of the scene, the far right, you've got Diana's servant, as a Black servant. And this again is a typical position for the Black presence, it's on the very edge. They're they're often liminal characters in paintings, They're, they're, they're literally peripheral, they're on the edge. And here we have here the, the black figure, quite well thought out figure compared to other, compared to other black figures, which are, are often drawn as transient sort of caricature figures. Here, Titian has some sense of, of, of modeling in the face, and the black woman has a presence. But often people miss her because the composition is, is so focused on the interaction between Action and Diana that your eye is not drawn to the black figure. She's so, so on the edge and she's not part of the main scene because the way she, through his masterpiece of composition and form, the way he brings it together, our eye is drawn not to the edge, but to the center. And sometimes, that's like often with the black presence in paintings, you have to look to the edge. The, the, the diana action is and the, the presence of the, the, the black person. People have written about the fact that that is a play on the goddess fate, Fortuna. Fortuna is two-faced. She's got half of her face is white, half of her face is black. The argument goes, or some people argue, Titian is trying to have Diana as the goddess of fate. And he's using that black figure to kind of symbolize her. And some of the little clues in the painting, if you look at, it's actually on a slope. And, you know, Fortuna lives in a house on a slope. There's a broken mirror, you know, in the slope. And it's all about action meeting his fate. Diana is goddess of fate. She, you know, she, she turns him into the uh, deer, and he's, 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 he's killed by his own hounds.
0: So we've looked at explicit examples of works in which a black figure is visible, but what does an implicit presence mean? This is either a presence wherein a black figure should be there and is not, or one in which their presence is implied through some other subtext.
1: If you look at someone like Mrs. Oswald, it's a very ground painting, and the woman in all that pomp, a portrait by, by Zoffany. Oh, it was a life-size portrait a very dominant, very, very dominant drawing, a painting, Robin. And you have to think, well, where did the money come for her to have this? Her money came from slavery.
0: It's a similar story for Sebastiano del Piombo's painting, The Raising of Lazarus, in the National Gallery Collection, which has the accession number of NG1.
1: It was the first piece that came into the accession. And the collection came from Sir John Dewey's Angerstein. He sold... 38 works for 58,000 pounds and they formed the nucleus of the national collection and the raising of lazarus was central to it but angstein's money came from slavery he made his money from slavery he made he developed instruments to help fund the slave trade in fact he created instruments to help people to invest with confidence in the slave trade and the so-called triangular trade he himself owned a plantation in the caribbean so Oh, he is classed as a philanthropist. If you go to the Lloyd's website, Lloyd's site, you see he's a philanthropist. But then he was also a, a, a slave owner. He was also a man whose business was founded on slavery and the sustaining of the slave trade, which, in turn, they created the, the instruments. Some historians argue, the economic historians argue, that his, he created the economic in, instruments that help move, help us move into the in, industrial revolution, so people could invest as they invested with confidence in in slave journeys, they could invest in industrial enterprises with the same confidence, there was the insurance to back up the risk. So when you look at NG1, Sebastian Piombo, and Michelangelo Brunatti's painting The Rising of Lazarus, you have to think that the money, the money for that painting came from his, his success of uh, Angstein in developing instruments that sustain the slave trade.
0: So though these two paintings don't explicitly include black figures, the narrative of the black presence in Europe is embedded in the stories behind these works. As a different form of implicit presence, let's look at artworks where a black figure could or should be present, but isn't. Paintings of the legendary Queen of Sheba are a great example.
1: Although she comes from Saba, that's the Queen of Saba, Queen of Sheba, and that's the same place that the black king was supposed to have come from. The Queen of Sheba is always shown as white. So we look at Claude Lorraine's uh, embarkation of the, the Queen of Sheba. The Queen is shown as white, yet she has two black attendants. This is one of the works that Turner loved. In fact, they're hung together with his work in the National, National Gallery. A beautiful contrast between the two, how both Claude and Turner capture lights and, and weather. Really outstanding paintings. But in the, the Queen of Sheba is shown as a white person, as a white queen, yet she came from Sabah. And you look at early drawings of the Queen of Sheba, particularly in Germany, she's shown as black. So you have to question, how come there are paintings of the Queen of Sheba as black and she came from on the Sabbath? Yeah, here we have her as white. People argue, there's a number of reasons for this. Is People talk about her image got conflated by, by the text because King Solomon had many wives, many wives, and those wives and concubines were supposed to have corrupted him. And there's images of a black woman getting Solomon to worship idols. So the image of Queen Sheba gets gets damaged or gets as corrupted. Whereas if you look at the black king, the black king is, is essentially uncorruptible. He is is a, an image to be looked up to, to be emulated. Whereas the black queen never made it to, the, to never made it past the 13th century before she became white.
0: It's the patriarchy. <laughs>
1: Exactly. It's the patriarchy. It's ex- you are so right. If I go a bit further, this is, in, in the in the white Queen of Sheba, you see misogynoir in action. You see the dual whammy of racism and sexism. Sexism because the Queen of Sheba, she eventually gets sexualized and, and be, be lo- no longer become a suitable image for any woman. Mm-hmm. Because we're living in a, matriarchal, a patriarchal society. So the, the Queen of Sheba image becomes highly sexualized, so she doesn't become a didactic figure, unlike the Black King, who can be seen as a, 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 a didactic figure, an instructive figure. And as a consequence of the the, the patriarchy, there's an underlying move. There was a, a series of paintings called The Power of Women. And this was how about women brought down men. You look at Samson and Delilah. We're looking at Judas and Holly Fairness these are how women brought down men so the women become literally demonized and particularly here with the Queen of Sheba you see the fact that the woman is as not, not a suitable role model but then she can't be black because we can't express beauty in blackness so we can't have a black woman as, 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 as a figure of any, of any didactic purpose so you see misogynoir in action here and you see that this is there no black women in renaissance art in this period even though they were black in their story like people like andromeda who was the daughter of the king and queen of ethiopia ethiopia being the greek for burnt face she never made it out as a black person she's always portrayed as white the commentators at the time wrote about her as being black yet the artists portrayed her as white You know, Velasquez's uh, father-in-law, whose name escapes me for the moment, he wrote about that. He said, you know, you artist, you paint that Andromeda as white, although she was black.
0: Moving forward through European history, the narrative of the black figure in art evolves as we begin to see black artists. With this, artists could reclaim ownership of their own identities and manner of representation.
1: The first one of any significance is Juan de Boheche. Now, he was the assistant of slave to Velasquez, And Valescuys manumitted him when he was called to Rome to, to paint the Pope. And it's a very famous painting of, of Juan de Pareja by Velasquez. but uh, done at the same time. And Juan de Pareja went, went on to a practice all of his own at the same time. But he was the first artist of color. We have to move forward right now until the 1930s before we get a relax on the I know. I'm sure there are others in the meantime, but the first one I know is Ronald Moody. He did some really telling sculptures. Ron was a D- Jamaican heritage. He came over here to study dentistry. But he got caught up after visiting the British Museum. He was, he was fascinated by the monumentality of the majesty he found in the, these big Egyptian and Easter Island figures. He wanted to do some of that for himself, and he did. He sculptured some really moving pieces. And for me, he is an artist that you look at his work, and his work looks back at you. In a kind of defiant way, kind of, as has a life of its so own. Although, only, although it's okay, it's a piece of wood. It has a very physical presence that sometimes can be a bit disturbing. But it's, it shows the, the quality and the power of his work. And Ron was he was an artist expressing an emotion, of feeling through painting. He wasn't expressing the, the black condition. But he was just talking about. He was just some sense, some human sensibility, some human emotion.
0: Moody's career gained traction in Paris, where he exhibited work before having to flee the Nazis in 1940. After returning to London, he continued to produce sculptures, including a bronze bust of his brother, Harold Moody, which is now part of the National Portrait Gallery collection. Harold was notable in his own right, becoming a celebrated physician and civil rights activist. Diana-born artist Frank Bowling was born around the time Moody's career was hitting its stride. He moved to London at the age of 19 and earned a scholarship to the Royal College of Art. There was recently a retrospective of his 60-year career at
1: Tate Britain. He came through a time when Art was rejected. He was in art school at the same time as Bridget Riley and Hockney. They were contemporaries of his, and, they, and they, they had a very famous exhibition, the New Generation Exhibition, in the early '60s, uh, back at the Whitechapel Gallery, and Frank's work was rejected because the director, uh, the director, told Frank, "England's not ready for an artist of color." So Frank had to go to America, and he teamed up with the Black Power artists. And it's quite, uh, quite. He, he's he's now he actually came back to England and in, in later on the '70s, '80s. He then became a role. He became recognized. Became the first Black role, a- a- Academician. So he was celebrated. But at the start of his career, he had that uh, he had that denial. His map paintings are so emotional in terms of the way he's caught, he captures paint on the map of South America and Africa. It's it, 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 it very moving, dramatic, very emotional paintings, very calming paintings. I don't know. I've, you, do, are you familiar with, with, with Rothko's work? You know the Rothko's Rothko's murals. Mm-hmm. It's at the same kind of quiet intensity, that quiet presence. You know, they really benefit from sitting in front of them for a little while and let the painting do his works. And he painted the maps because it, it was about his home, it was about his identity, where he came from. And that presence of that understanding of identity is something at the heart of many black artists who create works which express themselves and, and through, through their, their identity. And here you have to look at this, there's a number of artists. Yeah, I'm thinking of Keith Piper. Keith Piper, he's, he's done a series of work, Go West, Young Man, where he talks about uh, how, and he's being playful in terms of Go West, in terms of, uh, of that, that was the American uh, call to people to go to travel. Whereas it was iron, ironic to go West for, for, the, for the Africans for the enslaved Africans, led to, led to enslavement. And for, and for others, it led to a new life, to, to, to the enslaved, to the captured slaves. It, it led to a, a life of suffering and pain and, and hardship. And he, he reflected that. He talks about his his condition. Or equally, you, you look at Lubey um, Mohamed, uh, and she, she expresses the black condition, the black female condition through her art. Or oh, his his work, expresses the times that we live in. And his his great work, No Woman, No Cry, in in response to the death of Stephen Lawrence. He does his contemporary version of a Madonna. He's he's using modern motifs or current motifs to express a hurt that we have as, as a society. So these are artists expressing themselves and their times through their art. But equally, there are artists who are expressing their artistic temperament. They just happen to be Black artists, artists of color.
0: Examining the Black presence in European art sometimes requires knowing where to look, but it's an art historical journey that's rich with examples.
1: We've come on the journey now. We, we've come from being the subjects of economic capital, slaves and servants, etc., cetera, like, um, and symbolism, but right through to actually creating cultural capital that people value, the work that people value. For their own sake, because we reflect our times. They say something to us through their work.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, in our Visiting or Live in London, Michael offers tours at the Wallace Collection, National Gallery, V&A Museum, and Tate Britain. The article for this episode is on ArtUK.org, where you can see most of the paintings and sculptures we discussed. As always, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give Art Matters a rating on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think, and please join us again next time.